We are in a series titled, Who is God? And our theme verse for this series is Jeremiah chapter 9, 23 and 24. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. Understanding has to do with our cognitive Awareness of who God is. Is the picture, the mental picture we have of God accurate? And we can, we can grow in that. God wants us to understand who he really is. We can't know God uh, on our own. We can't understand him because we humans make God in our own image. And God is wholly other. And so we're dependent upon him to reveal himself to us. And thankful he does in his word and uh, ultimately in the face of his son, Jesus Christ. But we want to increase our understanding of God so that we may deepen our knowledge of him. That, that is a relational term, right? We, we want a correct understanding of God so that we can have a deeper knowledge of him, a, a better relationship with him. Just like any other relationship. The more you know someone, uh, the better you can relate to them. And God wants us to know him. He desires us to have a relationship with him. And therefore, he has gone out of his way to reveal himself to us. This is who I am. And so we go to the scriptures in this series uh, to, to unpack what God has revealed about himself to us. We understand so that we may know. Not so that we have the answers for trivial pursuit or look intelligent uh, around the dinner table, but that, that we might know God. So each week, we're seven weeks into this series, and each week we uh, examine an attribute of God. Well, today's attribute is wisdom, God's wisdom. In Romans chapter 11, verses 33 to 35, the Apostle Paul writes, Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. He's overwhelmed with God's wisdom. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. God's wisdom is perfect. Uh, you cannot plumb the depths of God's wisdom. It's beyond human understanding. Well, let me define wisdom. Let me give you the definition of th uh, from three different theologians. J.I. Packer writes, Wisdom is the power to see and the inclination to choose the best and highest goal together with the surest means of attaining it. A.W. Tozer writes, Wisdom sees everything in focus, each in proper relation to all, and is thus able to work toward predestined goals with flawless precision. And Wayne Grudem writes, God always chooses the best goals and the best means to those goals. And so there are two parts to wisdom. The first part has to do with what you desire, what you aim for. What is your 
what is your end goal? And so wisdom is to choose the best end goal. And God always does. What God aims for, what he desires, what he is always perfect and good and right and true. And then the second part of wisdom is getting from here to there in the, in the best possible way. And so to be perfectly wise means you're always choosing the absolute uh, best path to achieving your perfect goals. And that's God. His wisdom is perfect, so he always, uh, he is always has the best goal in mind, and he always chooses the, the absolute best way to achieve that goal. That's not the case for you and me. Now, this wisdom of God is what is called a communicable attribute of God, which means it's an attribute that he shares with us, those created in his image, to a degree. Uh, by the way, the attributes of God are, are uh, oftentimes categorized as communicable or incommunicable. Uh, attributes of God with, that we share in because we're created in his image, and then there are attributes of God that we don't share in, like we're not omnipresent, right? Uh, at least I'm not. So, but this wisdom is a communicable attribute. It's an attribute we can share in, but it's always just a taste of, right? Never perfectly. And so, yes, uh, sometimes our, our goals are good goals. Sometimes. And, and we want to grow in wisdom. All over the Bible, we are encouraged to seek wisdom. And so we want our goals to be increasingly matching the, the perfect goals of our Lord and and we also want to grow in uh, insight as to how to get from here to there. But we have to approach this topic with humility. As Kara said, uh, God has perfect wisdom. I don't have perfect wisdom. And I want to grow in wisdom, and we should want to grow in wisdom. But we, also, we have to always remember that we're the Padawans, right? He's, we're the grasshoppers, and he's the master. And so we look to him always uh, to afford that perfect wisdom. And humble ourselves uh, before it. Now, one of the places the wisdom of God is on display is creation in the natural world. Psalm chapter 104, verse 24. O oh Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. And so we're told in Scripture to uh, look at the natural world and see God's wisdom on display. And if we will look at creation with uh, open eyes and an open heart, we will see the wisdom of God all over the place. Uh, in fact, today, unsolicited, I, I said hi to Nelson Vasquez, and he's uh, studying, he's in anatomy physiology too right now, and he said, Mike, the body is amazing. It, it, God is so clearly the designer of this. And, and so he starts telling me about the lymph node system and, and how uh, God uses it to clean out your bodies. And it's like you know, the, the, the imprint of God's design is all over the human body. And that's what the scriptures say. The scripture says that, that anyone who looks at the natural world will see the wisdom of God unless they are suppressing that truth because of their own wickedness. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. 
Do you realize that the truth is being suppressed in the world because of our wickedness? It's being hidden. It's being put down. It's being labeled as untrue when in fact it's true. It's being, what is right is being labeled as wrong. It's just a convoluted mess. Verse 14, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. So here is God talking. And God is saying, listen, I have given ample testimony to my wisdom in creation. And if you will look at it with a fair uh, mind and an open heart, you will see me behind the natural world. And if you don't, it's because you are suppressing the truth by your wickedness. And unfortunately, we live in a culture that is suppressing the truth. And that is coming up with, uh, there, uh, there isn't a God, and what we see out there is, is just the product of random evolutionary chance. Now, God might have used evolutionary processes to create the world, but there is an intelligent design behind it all. And God says it is no human is without excuse. In other words, when you get to judgment someday and you say to God, how was I supposed to know you? Uh, nobody, you never left any testament you know, to you. He'll say, yes, I did. It was all around you. You are without excuse. At a minimum, you should have been able to recognize my eternal and uh, power and divine nature. The all-wise God. And unfortunately, many are um, turning a blind eye. Verse 21, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. There are a lot of people who are futile in their thinking who hold pretty high academic positions in our universities. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So here he's talking about uh, idolatry. How can you look at creation and then, and then think that God is an animal or, or a stone or a piece of wood? How can you look at creation and say, uh, there is no creator behind this? So here's the heartache of it all. People who refuse to acknowledge that God is all wise don't go to God for wisdom. See, that's the problem. If, if you don't think that there is an all wise God who offers you his wisdom, you're not, you're not going to go to him looking for his wisdom and benefiting from it. And so you just do life on your own, armed with your own flawed, imperfect wisdom. And it's a much lesser way to live. The Bible says it is a foolish way to live. On the other hand, if you say, there is in heaven an all-wise God who out of his gracious heart chooses to impart that wisdom to me, and you go looking for it and you benefit from it, your life is blessed.
All right, so I want to go practical today. If you have your bulletins, I've got three fill in the blanks, and it's since God is all wise, dot, dot, dot. Since God is all wise, number one, I am foolish to ignore him. I'm foolish to ignore him. In Psalm chapter 19, verse 7, uh, we are reminded of the blessings of God's uh, word. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. The all-wise God has, has blessed us with instructions on how to live life. And how blessed we are when we, we go and we learn and then we put those into practice. And how foolish we are to ignore God's generous gift of his, of his word. And obviously this is most uh, clearly um, seen in the gospel. Where God says, you know what? I can teach you how to have your sins forgiven. And how to have the, uh, the, the, the curse that rests upon you because of your sin removed. So that you can have a restored relationship with me. And be dwelt, indwelt with the spirit of a living God. And when you die, your eternity is heaven, not hell. And we are absolutely foolish to ignore that. And yet there are a lot of people in the world ignoring the wisdom of God. And they don't open the word, and they don't come to church and hear it preached, and they don't talk about the Bible with their friends. They just go ahead and do life on their own apart from the uh, counsel of the living God, the all-wise God. And that is foolishness. There is a better way to live. Furthermore, in addition to uh, the teachings of Scripture, or in, in a sense to complement and supplement, uh, we are told in James that we can go directly to God if we need wisdom, ask Him for it, and He'll give it to us. Listen to this promise. James chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom... You ever been there? <laughs> oh, yes. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. What does it mean? I love that. Generously without reproach. Here's what it means. You might find yourself in a situation of your own making. Due to your poor choices, due to your sin, due to your rebellion against God, you might find yourself in a terrible place. But even when you're right there, if you will turn to God and say, God, here I am, but I need your wisdom now. What do I do? God's not going to say, you got there. If you had just done what I told you to do from the first part, you wouldn't, so I'm not going to help you now. He doesn't do that, does he? 
Steve Holsinger used to say, when God, when you find yourself in a mess, give God something to bless. So no matter where you find yourself, when you finally come to your senses, whether, whether you're like the uh, prodigal son and you're in the pig pen, when you finally come to your senses and you go, I need some wisdom, God's, at that moment, God in his generosity says, here it is. Here's the wise thing to do. Verse 6, but, but let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he'll receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Here's what I think that means. When you say, God, I need to know what the right thing to do is, the wise thing to do, please give me wisdom. And then the Lord shows it, and you're like, I don't think that's a good idea. And you second-guess God, right? That's too hard. That would be embarrassing. I'm not going to do that. That that, I have to humble myself. And so you you ask God for wisdom. He tells you what the wise thing to do is, and then you go about second-guessing it. And God says, there's no blessing in that. If you're going to ask me for wisdom, and I'm going to give it to you, you better execute on it. That's, That's how you're blessed. So since God is all wise, I am foolish to ignore him. I want to go to God. And, and be receiving from him instruction on how to live life the very best way possible. And, you know, I try to discipline myself to ask for wisdom, even when I don't feel like it. Maybe even especially when I feel like, when, I, when I'm aware of my need for wisdom, it's easy to go to God. But it's, it's in those times where I feel like I got this one, Right? Well, there's, there's an Old Testament story about the Israelites and the Jebusites. And the Jebusites came to the Israelites asking for a treaty. Now, they, had, they were tricking and deceiving the Israelites, acting like they were from a far-off people, even though they weren't. But the Israelite leaders didn't consult the Lord. They figured, we've got this one. This is a pretty, this is a no-brainer. Why would I need the wisdom of the Lord? Well, because they didn't consult the Lord, they were deceived, and there were consequences. And so we're to learn from that, you know, down with hubris. Don't have the, the hard attitude that says, there's a whole lot of my life I'm completely capable of managing apart from God. Rather have a humble heart that says, Lord, uh, I think this is the right move, but man, I, I, I want to have your wisdom, so please let me know. There's a better way. Number two, since God is all-wise, who am I to judge him? Who am I to judge him? Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. My thoughts and my ways are not yours. And then he spikes it and he says, in fact, mine are better. (laughs) Which, yeah. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. You're creatures. I am the creator. Don't presume to judge me. You're not going to necessarily understand 
what I'm aiming for or how I'm, going, how I'm trying to get there. Nor does God feel any need to justify himself to us. And we see that in the story of Job. And Job was desperate to know, why are all these bad things happening to me? And even though we, the reader, get an insight into what's happening in the heavenlies, Job never does. God never explains why he's doing what he's doing. He, all he says is, Job, I am God. I, where were you when I created the world? Let's remember who we are, Job. You are the creature. I am the creator. I don't have to explain myself to, it, to you. My, my ways and my thoughts are way beyond yours. So who am I to judge God? And the, but the fact is, all of us, all of us at times, judge God in our hearts. You read the scriptures and you come across the flood and you're like, is God really wise to wipe out the whole world with water and just save Noah's family? And you come to Sodom and Gomorrah, hmm, was it really the right thing for him to do to rain fire and brimstone down and wipe out two, two cities? And Ananias and Sapphira steal, hold back some money, and God strikes him dead, and, and, right? And, we, and then what happens in our own lives and, and in the lives of our loved ones and what's going on in the world, and why does God let ISIS you know, exist? And why does God let parents do bad things to their kids? And why is he letting, you know, me be sick like this? And, and it's so tempting to judge God. But I think this Isaiah passage can free us from that. If we'll just say, who am I to judge God? His ways and his thoughts are, are way beyond me. And so I'm just going to trust and we can release that because you know what? When you judge the Lord, sometimes it's unconscious or subconscious. And, but what it does is it erodes your willingness to entrust your life completely to him. Because in, in your back of your head is this, I'm not really sure he's making the best decisions for my life. Number three, since God is, in, since God is all wise, why would I doubt him? Why would I doubt him? There's a very interesting story in 2 Samuel 17 about a guy named Ahithophel. Ahithophel. I think that's correct. Yes, I'll say it again. Ahithophel. And Hushai. And David and Absalom. Those are the guys. Okay, so... Uh, David is king of Israel. His son Absalom is tired of waiting around for David to die so he can have the throne. So he decides, I'm just going to kick that off the throne. He rebels, and uh, he gets a bunch of uh, Israelites to join him, and they're going to remove David force, by force from the throne. David's top counselor, Ahithophel, joins Absalom, and this distresses David. Because David, David realizes Absalom, advised by Ahithophel, is a real threat. And so David asks one of his uh, faithful, Hushai, to essentially be a spy. And he says, Hushai, I need you to go to Absalom. Tell Absalom you're on his side, you're joining his rebellion. And your whole purpose is to confuse the counsel of Ahithophel. And you've got to convince Absalom not to listen to Ahithophel. And so Hushai says, okay, I'll do that, David. 
Now, there's a very... Uh, Ahithophel is telling Absalom, now is the time to strike. David is weak. You've got to get him now. Do not delay. Strike now. You'll overcome David. You will be victorious. And that was very good counsel. Hushai, though, is seeking to confuse the situation, says, Absalom, Absalom, right now, David and his men are like cornered bears, and they are just ferocious. And, and, but you are beloved by the people, and if you just delay, more and more people are going to come onto your side, and your forces are going to grow, and it's, with delay, it will only be easier for you to overtake David. Now, this appealed to Absalom's pride, right? Oh, yes, I'm beloved. Yes, right. Yeah, more, the people do like me, and, and my forces will grow, and so he delays. Well, Ahithophel, as soon as he realizes that he's not going to be uh, listened to, is so distressed he goes home and kills himself. And I tell you that story uh, to make the point that, he, that even the best human wisdom can be thwarted because we don't have power necessary. But God's wisdom can never be thwarted because it is aligned with omnipotence. It's aligned with power. Here's what A.W. Tozer says, which I think is so great. With the goodness of God to desire our highest welfare the wisdom of God to plan it, and the power of God to achieve it, what do we lack? Surely we are most favored of all creatures. Now, we've already talked in the, uh, earlier in the series about God's goodness. In other words, he desires our best. God's attitude toward us is, I want my people to have the very best. That's his goodness. His wisdom. He knows what is best for us, and he knows how to give it to us. And then his power. No one can stand in his way. If God is for us, who can be against us? In Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. The good God who is all wise and has all power is, is working out all things in our lives for good. What does it mean? It means we are safe in his care. And if we would just rest in that, that's our inheritance as followers of Christ. God wants us to relax, to rest in his care, just like a, uh, just like a trusting child rests in the care of his, heavenly, or of his earthly father. So he wants us to rest in the care of our heavenly father. See, we don't have to stress. We don't have to stress if we will trust. In our God. What a better way to live. God knows perfectly what I need and what you need. And he knows how to make that come about. Now his aims are not necessarily our aims, right? I'm going to pull this verse. I wasn't going to spike this, but let me just re read the next verse. Romans 8, 28, and then 29 tells us what his aim is. 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. And then 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined 
to be conformed to the image of his son. So what's God's aim for us? Not our happiness, well, yes, but our holiness. <laughs> he is conforming us to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And that can often take all kinds of uh, twisty turns, can't it? And take us places that we wouldn't necessarily uh, request. But God does accomplish uh, what he wants to accomplish in our lives. Two illustrations. When we ask God for wisdom, so often what we're wanting is we're wanting God to give us the big picture and to explain to us why he's doing what he's doing. So that we can say, so that we can say uh, okay, I approve of that. That makes sense to me. You're pretty smart. Rarely does God do that. So here's the illustration. Uh, if you're, if you're, at a train center, if you're standing on a train platform, you're, it's hard for you to make sense of what's going on. Trains are coming, they're going, and, you know, how do I make sense of this? But if you get taken into the, what used to be called the switchboard room, and there you see the big digital displays of, of the trains, where they are, and all the tracks, and, and, and somebody explained it to you, all of a sudden... It makes sense, right? Oh, I see why the trains are coming and going the way they're going. And that's, when we pray for wisdom, usually that's what we're, very often that's what we're asking for. God, I want to see the big picture so it all makes sense to me so I can there then be assured that you are doing the good thing. Rarely does God give us that insight. Let me give you a different illustration. What he often does, or what he rather gives us, his instructions on how to drive the car. So when we say, God, I need wisdom, God says, okay, I'll, te I'll teach you how to, you know, how to steer. I'll teach you how to use the brake and how to use the gas pedal. And I'll teach you how to drive in the icy conditions. And I'll teach you how to respond when it's rainy and how to go up hills and how to downshift on the downhills. I'll teach you how to drive the car. But you got to trust me with, with the road and with the route. And I'm not going to tell you where I'm necessarily where I'm taking you. And you're not going to know what's coming tomorrow or what's coming next week. But when you ask for wisdom, how, and, and here's what we ask, God, how do I respond in faith to the disappointment I'm experiencing right, right now? What is the faith response to this opportunity? What is the faith response to the fact that I've just been let down by people I trusted? How do I respond in faith to this tremendous disappointment in my life or this illness, right? How do I drive the car in this condition? God will give us that wisdom. But we've got to trust that if we just keep driving the way he, in the route that he lays out for us, at the end of the day, he takes us to the best possible.